Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, I've already said that... uh, This is one of two places in all of the Gospels where Jesus mentions the church. The church is a part of Jesus' plan. It was not some invention by Christians later on. Um, He tells us that he will build his church back in Matthew chapter 16, which we looked at about two months ago. And today, he's telling us some instructions about how we live together as the church. But let's also think about the context where we see this passage. We've seen how Jesus loves his children, the little children who become like little children whenever they have the faith of a child. He's talking about how much he loves believers so much that anybody that is a threat to his children. It'd be better if they had a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. He he tells us about how he loves his children so much that he's like a shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And I think when he's telling us here these instructions on how we are to live together as a church... He's telling us as a church how we imitate the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. He's telling us when one of our members strays away from following Christ, we go after them just like the shepherd did. He's telling us to not just ignore it and let them walk away and never come back. No, when one of our members strays away from following Jesus, we go after them. That is the most loving thing to do. It is not just let them go. So, let's look at our text. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if you, if two of you are in a if you if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, that uh, you are here among us as we gather in your name. And Father, we thank you 
that you have called us to be here. Lord, we ask you that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray that you would help us to accept your word and not resist it. We love you. We love your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is the text that we often go to to talk about what we call church discipline. And church discipline is never a fun thing. But church discipline doesn't start with this necessarily. Church discipline is a broad thing. What do I mean by church discipline? Well, as we read in the um, confession and also as we look at our church covenant, we have a, a responsibility to hold one another accountable. When we join a church, we are covenanting ourselves along with the other people that we are going to keep some promises together, that we're going to walk together in following Christ, that we will pray for one another, that we will care for one another's needs, that we're going to do all those things. And we're going we're to fight this fight together to walk through this world of sin together until Jesus comes. And church discipline, I think there's two components here. One, there's maybe what we might call preventative. That's the everyday kind of church discipline. That's, that's whenever we meet together for discipleship and we, we hear Jesus' commands. That's when we come together to hear the preaching of the Word. We are hearing those things and it prevents us from going off the rails. That, that's an everyday, all kinds of, you know. But then, in some cases, there, there are, are cases where somebody begins to walk away and it looks like they're no longer following Jesus. This can take a couple of different forms. It may be just removing themselves from the body. No longer attending any longer. They've walked away and we may go to them and say, hey, we want you back. We want you back. And they just say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. Well, they're no longer, I mean, if they're not even, they've almost pretty much taken themselves out. right? And then maybe somebody just falls into some sin and it's not like they're saying, yes, I know it's sin. And I, well, well, I, I, I hate it. I'm sorry I did it. Uh, you know, it's not like that. You no, know, it's, I'm going to do this and I don't care what anybody else says. And if the Bible says it's wrong, then oh well. You know, that's not how a believer responds. If we have one of our members who, who decides to do something and say, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm just going to do it because it makes me feel good. Then that would be a case where we, we need to practice what's, Right here. And then also doctrinal things. We, we have a confession. We, we believe, I mean, here at this church, our confession, we, we agree as the, the uh, Baptist faith and message. Okay? And, and we, we agree uh, when we join. Uh, this is our confession. This is what we believe. And if, if someone, I mean, if someone is adamantly disagreeing, with something and trying to teach that in the church. Say, um, let's say the doctrine of the Trinity, just for one that's absolutely obvious. 
Uh, our confession, we, we, uh, we believe in the Trinity, that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if someone were to join and then start uh, teaching or, or advocating the view that Jesus isn't really God, that's, that's not Christian. And we need to go to them and tell them, because if they're persisting in that, then that's a doctrinal error that will lead to hell. That's not what Christians believe. And so we go to them and we confront them about this. So here's Jesus' instructions on how we do this. If your brother sins against you, he's saying a believer. Someone who professes to be a believer sins against you. It might be a personal sin where someone offends you in some way, but it might be that we see someone uh, that's a member of the church that's just doing some kind of, of, of sin that seems to be unrepentant. Then we go to them and tell him his fault between you and him alone. The first step is private confrontation. And we don't like that, do we? We don't like private confrontation. You know, that, it, it hurts. Some of us just, we avoid any kind of conflict. But here, here's the alternative. If, if it's not private confrontation, then what we end up doing is gossiping. We may, we, someone, someone may come to the pastor and say, did you know this person over here is doing that? And the response I should give is, well, I'm sorry, have you talked to them about that? The first step is private confrontation so that, so that maybe it was a misunderstanding and you can deal it up before it goes to another level and other people hear about it. So the, the first step is private confrontation. And, and no, nobody thinks that's fun, but that's how we obey Jesus. Um, just think about it this way. When the sheep strays away, the shepherd, he's got the 99 to take care of. He's got to choose. Am I going to leave these 99 where it's nice and comfortable? Or am I going to go after the one where it's uncomfortable? And that's how we are as well. Am I going to do what's uncomfortable and go and and confront this person privately? Don't do so in a belligerent attitude. But as Ephesians tells us, speak the truth in love. Go to your brother and say, hey, I I think I see some sin in your life. Uh, let's clear this up. Is this a misunderstanding? I want to know, I want to know if this is, if this, if I understand this right. And if it is, then you need to repent. If that person continues to, to reject any kind of repentance, then it escalates. Jesus says, but if it does, he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Here, Jesus is, uh, he is pointing out the principle that Ron read from, from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Here, in the, in the court system of the Old Testament, um, the, uh, no charge could be made by just one person. But there had to be uh, at least two or three witnesses. Otherwise, it was possible it could be some kind of a fact, uh, a, um, um, 
false allegation. And so there's protection there for someone in this case. Uh, we have to have two or three witnesses. We, so, that, so that maybe, you know, if someone is mad at another person in the church for something that was some personal offense, um, you've got to have these two witnesses because if you go with the two witnesses, then you might find out, well, it was actually the, the other person's fault in the first place. Or um, it, it, it protects against it just being someone just mad at another person and trying to take it out as an accusation. There has to be two or three witnesses. Just as in the Old Testament, there was a process for due process, just as we have in our own law, there has to be due process before someone can be convicted. We have a due process that Jesus lays out here in Matthew 18. And then verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That, that, is, that is the court. We've established that it's a real sin because two or three have gone along with the, uh, the original person who has this accusation. And I don't want to say accusation. They're going for the purpose of trying to confront this person in their sin out of love because we don't want to see them wander away from following Jesus. It's told to the church not so that everybody can know their business, not so that we can spread bad news, but it's told to the church because Jesus has given authority to the church. And as a church... When we allow people to be members of our church, we are saying publicly, we believe this person is a Christian and they're going to heaven with us. And when we have somebody on our membership role who is living in some kind of unrepentant sin, which they refuse to to give up, whether it be doctrinally, whether it be some kind of blatant moral sin, whether it be sexual, whether it be uh, any other kind of, you know, being dishonest in their business, any kind of thing that is, that is a blatant moral error and refusing to give it up. Refusing to give it up. Saying, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to keep this. Then the loving thing is to bring it before the church so that we can say, I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, sister, but the way you're living, we don't think we can in good conscience continue to tell you and tell everybody else that we think you're a Christian. Instead, we need to remove you from the role because the way you're living right now does not reflect the godliness that God has given for us to live. It is not for revenge. It is not so that we can be legalistic it is for the purpose uh well it is for two purposes at least it is one for redemption it is to go after that person so that they will repent and come back to the fold the other reason is for the glory of god god is glorified in a church where all of us together are living following after him and if we have a membership role where people are living licentious lives and we don't care about it, that is dishonoring to God. 
So, what does Jesus say? Tell it to the church, and if he does not, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, let's, let's pay attention to what this doesn't say. In the Old Testament, you have a court case like that. You've got to have two or three witnesses. You bring it before the community, and if they uh, are found to be guilty, what do you do? You stone them. <laughs> right? You stone them to death. Jesus is not saying here, if they refuse to repent even before the church, then stone them to death. No, he's not saying that. He says, treat them as an unbeliever, basically. He says, treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. How do we treat a Gentile or a tax collector? How do we treat an unbeliever? Well, in order to join our church, we have to have a credible testimony that we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we would not allow someone who professes to be an unbeliever to join our church in the same way. When we treat someone as an unbeliever, we don't allow them to be a member of our church. When we treat somebody as an unbeliever, they're an object of evangelism. We want them to come in attendance. We want them to hear the gospel. We want to go after them. We, it doesn't mean that we avoid them. It means... We treat them just like any other unsaved person that we encounter. It doesn't mean be mean to them. It means we, we, need to teach the, we need to preach the gospel to them. Tell them the same thing we tell other unbelievers. Repent. Trust in Christ. Turn to Him and you can be saved too. Now, verse 18 Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is where I get the fact that Jesus has given His church authority. Whatever we do in here on earth has eternal implications. When we go to a person and confront them in their sin, there are eternal implications involved. What we do here matters for eternity. And when we go to our brother or sister who is wandering away, we are doing so because we want to see them repent and turn to Christ and, be, and ultimately be with us in heaven one day. So there are eternal implications to what we do when it comes to church discipline, when it comes to living our lives together as churches because Jesus has given the church authority. We don't like authority today. We want to be able to live on our, on our own and nobody can tell us what to do. Right? We don't want churches telling us what to do. But when we join a church, we covenant with one another and sometimes we need to submit to what the Bible tells us to do through the church. And then finally, he says, and again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We often will quote this verse, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them, to kind of comfort ourselves whenever we have a small crowd. Well, remember... 
When two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. So Jesus is here among us. And I think that's true. I do think that's true. But let's remember, it's also given in this context, in the context of church discipline. And when we come together as a church, and we, um, we have to come to this last resort. This is a last resort. This is not something we do every day, and it is not something we do uh, lightly. But when, when, we, when we have to remove someone from the role and no longer allow them to take communion with us, it is a last resort. But Jesus is there with us. He is there with us. He is approving of, of it when we do what He tells us to do. Now, does the church always get it right? No. And I've seen cases where it didn't go well. Where the church got it wrong. And maybe it was revealed years later that it, that it was wrong. The fact that sometimes we're wrong doesn't mean we get a pass and we don't need to obey Jesus. When it's a clear case. That's why there has to be two or three witnesses. That's why there needs to be some kind of due process. We have to be absolutely certain to the best of our ability that this is the case. And most cases, I think, it'll be clear. Because the person won't repent. They'll be obviously doing something that everyone can see. A case where I've seen that it has worked well. When I was in seminary, we were members of a church that practiced this once while we were there. There was a young man who was married to a lady. They had some kids. And they were members of the church we were members of. And the young man... He didn't have an affair. He didn't do anything like that. But he decided he was going to leave his wife. He just didn't want to be married anymore. And I don't know what the first step was. Maybe it was the wife coming and pleading with him that he turn. But then she came to the church and asked for a couple of people to go with her from the church. They wrote letters to the man, certified letters who he refused and they were sent back. He would not listen. He would not listen. And finally, it had to be brought before the church. This was a clear-cut case. If someone walks away from what Jesus says for us to do, won't listen to the church, doesn't care what the Bible says, he's just going to do his own thing no matter what, it's a clear-cut case. Was that church, when they practiced church discipline and removed him from their membership, were they being mean to that person? No. They were trying to identify what you're doing is not what a believer does. Turn from it. Turn from it and, and come back to us. So these are, these are somber words. We don't take this lightly, but it is our duty as Christians, as a church, to hold one another accountable. A membership in a church is not just like a country club. We don't just pay our dues. But we hold one another accountable. 
and we love one another, we care for one another, and we call one another out sometimes. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.